This episode of Profiles and Risk is sponsored by IAPath. IAPath, unlocking your adjusting superpowers. Go to IAPath.com. This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Profiles in Risk. I'm your host, Nick Lamparelli. I am here on a lovely morning in Washington, D.C. for the National Flood Conference, and I'm taking time out of my schedule to talk to my special guest. My guest today is Charles Specht. Charles is president of Permission Group. Permission Group exists to teach insurance producers the fastest, smartest, and most ethical approach to building a $1 million book of business. Charles, welcome to Profiles in Risk. Nick, thank you very much for spending some time to talk with me this morning. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it as well. You know, there's a lot of conversation going out in the industry about the talent gap and the inability for um, insurance agencies and brokerages to train and hire and retain the next generation of producers. And that's what you do. Uh, so I've been following what you do on social media for a while. You're, uh, you're a natural to come onto this show. So I, I, I want to talk about uh, Permission Group and what you're doing to train producers. But let's start at the beginning. Let's rewind the mm -hmm. tape and go back to the beginning of your career. How did you get into insurance? All right. Well, I got into the insurance business back in the year 2000. A friend introduced me to it once I got out of college. I think it was like most people that I, I was looking at it like insurance, you know, it's not something that I'm really interested in, but you know, once I visited the agency, once I talked with the ownership, once they give me a little bit of an overview of what really insurance was about, it was very attractive. And I think it's like, that's maybe the experience of a lot of people. It's not something they thought insurance would you know be attractive to them, but once they figure it out, it really is a beautiful industry. So I started on the brokerage side on a PNC agency and was doing insurance sales. And so I started back in the year 2000 with a company called Interwest Insurance, which is a large agency, a large regional agency on the West Coast in California. And I was in a, a little bit of a smaller rural profit center. So I was selling insurance, mostly to subcontractors. I was doing pretty well, was enjoying it, but the management lived about two hours away. And so the agency really kind of struggled with just the day-to-day -day management. And so after about a year and a half, I decided to leave that agency and I went to work for Arthur J. Gallagher, which is a, obviously a very large organization, both nationally and internationally. And I was at Gallagher for about eight years, doing pretty well, really enjoyed everything that was going on. But there was a sense in which myself and my wife and my family, we wanted a little bit of, maybe of a change in regards to direction of where we we're going. So I had decided to go into pastoral ministry. So I took a, a senior pastor position at a, a, a local church in the country here, um, a bivocational position. And because of that, I, I really couldn't sell insurance full-time any longer. So what I did was I rolled my book of business basically on a three-year buyout. Then I set up a consulting practice where I began working with construction companies, mostly uh, some real estate investment firms and so forth, but I would help them with loss control and risk management. I would manage their insurance agents locally and nationally, just making sure that the agents were doing what they were supposed to be doing, you know, helping them with claims, um, even in some places, helping them figure out how to increase their annual revenues. And so I continued to do that for a couple of years. And I enjoyed it. I still do it now, but it's not really most of what I do now. Now, I actually focus on working with insurance agents because as I was working with my construction company clients, I was working with their agents quite often. And so I just began to realize that a lot of these agents really don't know what it is that they're doing. They don't really understand the value or really how to relate that value, describe it to an insured or a prospect. Many of these agents were 
contacting my clients and asking to offer quotes, but there was really no reason for my client to want to work with them because there was just, there was nothing there shown of value. So I just began to see that big hole in the marketplace for insurance sales training because frankly, most insurance agencies provide really little to no training. And so I began working with agents. I started that on another branch to my consulting practice and that branch has really blossomed into the whole tree. So in essence, uh, probably 95 to 99% of what I do today is I work with independent agents and agencies really around the United States where I am, I am training them on how to sell. Um, I named my consulting practice Permission Group because everything really focuses on getting the permission of the insured. And once you have that complete buy-in from the insurance buyer that they are confident and comfortable with working with you, then you can really then go to the next step. And so I help them with you know, pre-qualification. I help them with setting up their, their value and differentiation into, into the insurance marketplace. Um, I work with insurance agencies for, with their entire production staff, but I would say probably right around 50 to 60% of my clients now are independent agents who contact me directly and pay for my sales training out of their own pocket. Um, Their insurance agencies just don't have the money, the time, or the resources, frankly, to do it. And so many of them are paying for it themselves. And so I have a digital course that teaches everything step by step. But the predominant factor in my sales training is the broker record letter. I truly believe that nothing says you have my permission like a signed broker of record letter. And when you have the broker of record letter, you have the insured's permission to represent you to the marketplace. And so that's the focus of all of my sales training for every independent agent and agency I work with around the United States. And we're going to go into that part of it. So this is a common theme, right? So you came into insurance, you were kind of thrown into the production side. What are your mm-hmm. recollections about your, uh, your initial foray, right? So uh, was it sink or swim? Uh, how did you train yourself? How did you get yourself without your own training, you know, without, ha- you, without you having the permission group, how did, you, how, mm-hmm. how did you learn and acquire the wisdom in order to become a, uh, you know, a valuable producer uh, that you could then train other people? How did you acquire that skill set? I believe that I was relatively fortunate from the standpoint that I had a friend who got me into the industry and I worked at the same agency where he was at. And so he and I kind of partnered together and I shadowed him. So he had already been in the industry for about three or four years. And he was, you know, he wasn't a principal at the agency. He was just an agent, but we partnered together. And looking back on it, I was really probably the prospecting arm of the duo. So I was doing the cold calling and so forth. And then he would come in to you know, really sell the account. And I would just watch and take notes and begin putting together applications. But it really was a shadowing training that I was just kind of following and watching. And that really is, in essence, how most, I think, insurance agencies do it. And I also know that it probably hindered his growth at the time because I shadowed him for that year and a half. And he was, in essence, then relying upon, you know, even my work in regards to prospecting. And so he was slowing down in his prospecting. So even though we were, I believe, successful together, I also believe that we probably didn't write as much business, and he certainly didn't, if he wasn't having to, you know, train another agent, you know, and bring that agent around. If we could have done it separately and really prospected our own, uh, we probably would have written more business. But in essence, that's how the training model was of that agency. We just followed that. I followed that agent, just kind of saw how they did it. We traveled together. We talked, you know, occasionally he would show me how to put together an app, um, but then we would come together for the final proposal and he was the one who would do most of the speaking during that time. And so that was really, in essence, my training for, I think, a year to year and a half. I did go to a producer school. The agency paid for me to go to a producer school um, for a couple of weeks. But other than that, there was no other training from anyone in the agency other than that, just one particular agent who just happened to be my friend. At what stage in your early career did you realize, boy, if, if I can just get the broker of record letter, and, and by the way, for, for the listeners that may not understand that, it's a document that basically signs over the relationship to the carrier from one broker to another. <coughs> the broker essentially just acquires all of the policies that are listed in that broker of record letter in one fell swoop without having to fill out new applications or anything. The policies just switch from one broker to another. Mm -hmm. 
when did you figure that out? When, at what stage were you re- did you realize that that's a that's that's the competitive element that I need to uh, build the trust to get to? Um, how, how did you put the, that puzzle together? Yeah, and that's actually I think when I really look back on it, it is an interesting, it's just an interesting scenario. So depending upon where your listeners are at in the country, they might call it an AOR, which is an agent of record or the broker of record, BOR. But at the first agency I was at at Interwest, we very rarely ever did broker of record letters. In fact, it wasn't even something on the radar screen. Um, It was just, we were a quoting factory, if you will. We were just contacting insurers and we were just quoting. Nobody, I didn't, I don't even know if I knew what a broker of record letter was at that first agency, which was how out of the picture that that really even was from, you know, from a business model. When I went to the second agency, Arthur J. Gallagher, it really wasn't even necessarily something that was taught or, or, you know, even presented or pushed onto the agents that that's maybe what you should focus on. I certainly be, I certainly focused on it. um, I'd say later in the second half of my career with Gallagher, which was probably about, six to seven years into my insurance career. But, you know, at the same time, I, I really didn't use it as a predominant uh, prospecting factor. Um, I did it. I did get a number of clients from that, but I never really realized the power of it going forward. It really, frankly, Nick, wasn't until I started my consulting practice and began working with the insurance buyers that I realized that what these agents really need is just to become the broker of record. And so, once I began you know, working with my construction clients over the course of time and then seeing all of these agents you know, contacting and just asking to offer a quote, I just began to realize that, gosh, as an entire insurance industry, we're totally missing the boat here. And so then I began working with my, my construction clients and, and thinking and asking them, what is it that you really want from all of these agents going forward? And so I began to realize that they want, you know, they obviously want to have a, you know, save some money on premium. They want to you know, um, save time in regards to the whole process. But the big issue was that they wanted to have peace of mind that at the end of the day, they didn't want to buy a policy from an agent who wasn't going to be able to follow through, wasn't going to be able to provide the, the level of services and expertise that they needed. And so I began to realize that really what they want is they want to choose the right broker who's going to provide the right services to them. But the whole model of the insurance industry wasn't geared towards that because agents would call up and say, you know, can I offer a quote? And it was just completely opposite to really what the insurance buyers wanted. And so during that process, that's when I really began to formulate the whole idea of what the broker record letter really does and what the what an insurance agent needs to do in order to put pieces together so that the the insurance buyer would understand that they were the obvious choice of which agent to do business with. And then once they realized that they were the obvious choice to move forward, then all that was required was one signature on a piece of paper in order to make that happen. And as I began putting everything piece by piece and putting together a timeline of services, you know, really developing a strategy and a system on what to do, you know, step A, step B, and step C, it really began to work. And I noticed that a lot of my clients then were you know, getting what they wanted from the agent. And the agents were just much more happy about it because they didn't have to go through a quoting process and throw mud up against the wall and to see what stuck. They knew that once they got the signature on the BOR, they automatically had a loyal client going forward. And so that was the win. They didn't have to bog down the quoting process with the marketing department. They didn't have to send and you know, blanket the insurance marketplace to try and block out all the carriers because they had the permission of the client to move forward on their behalf. And it's just a much better way to do business. Could you talk about putting the pieces together? So, uh, you know, to get to that stage where uh, an insured is actually signing over the BOR, you have to Mm -hmm. get to a very high level of trust, signing over everything. What are some of the pieces of the puzzle that they have to put together, that the, the producer has to put and formulate for the insured to get them to that level? And we'll get right back to this podcast right after a short message from our sponsor. I'm back with Chris Stanley, founder of IAPath. Chris, when someone is interested in becoming an independent adjuster or independent appraiser, what can IAPath offer them? Nick, at IAPath, we recognize that getting people to take a chance on a new vendor or independent adjuster is challenging. So one thing that we do to help IAs is train them, certify them, and mentor them. 
We want to give them the skills to actually do the job and in turn give the hiring companies confidence to try out our graduates. We call these interactive online courses and mentorships boot camps. We also offer self-paced training videos and IA networking and support through our monthly membership that we call the League of IAs. Learn to write auto, heavy truck, and other claim types with IA Paths online trainings. Unlock your adjusting superpowers. Go to IAPath.com. Could you talk about putting the pieces together? So, uh, you know, to get to that stage where uh, an insured is actually signing over the BOR, you have to mm -hmm. get to a very high level of trust, signing over everything. What are some of the pieces of the puzzle that they have to put together, that the, the producer has to put and formulate for the insured to get them to that level? Definitely. And maybe I can even use a couple of examples of what it would be like. So if you wanted Italian food, you wouldn't go to you know, a general restaurant who makes you know, burgers and, and pasta and Mexican food. You would probably want to go to someplace that specializes in Italian food. You know, if you wanted, if you needed to have surgery, you know, on your appendix, you would go to a surgeon. You wouldn't go to a general pediatrician, for example. And so we go to specialists for certain things that we need. Uh, the problem with most agents is that they specialize only up to a certain point, but for the most part, they're generalists. What insureds really want, insurance buyers, is they want somebody who not just understands their industry, but is going to understand the major problems that they have in their individual unique micro niche. And so it's kind of a word that I, I sort of coined just to really um, make agents understand what we're talking about. It's the word micro niche. It's that we're not just going to be generalists. We can certainly write anything, but we're going to advertise ourselves, market ourselves, and brand ourselves so that we really appeal to a certain type of risk so that that risk would notice us as the obvious choice of which agency to work with. So think about it from this perspective. You know, Nick, you... Myself, everybody who has an insurance um, license in the United States has micro-niched themselves in one way or another. So when I got out of college, I could have gone into any industry, but I chose eventually to go into insurance. So I began niching myself into the insurance industry. I could have gone into the health or life side, but I chose to niche myself into property and casualty. I could have gone to an insurance carrier or a claims management company, but I chose to go to an independent agency. I could have then focused on any type of an account, but I began niching myself into construction. And I think that was, that really is how it works out. We all begin niching ourselves. But the problem with insurance agents is that they stop too soon. They might, they might call themselves, you know, a specialist in construction or a specialist in manufacturing or a specialist in food and beverage, but that's, that's an industry and not an actual niche. Okay. So if you really begin to break it down, and this is kind of how I'm answering your question, is that what a, what a residential plumbing subcontractor wants to have is an agent who understands the plumbing industry, not merely just construction insurance, okay? Because the plumbing contractor deals with a lot of different things in his or her business every single day. They're trying to figure out how to get more clients right? They're trying to figure out how to get more customers, how to get more repeat customers. They're trying to figure out how to find better employees and how to train them, how to keep them. Um, they have so many different things that they're dealing with, how to find, you know, better, um, you know, product to put into the places, you know, how to find, um, you know, different services that they need for their own business, like websites and social media and so forth. These are really the issues. Insurance is certainly a, a ticket item that they have, but it's not the thing necessarily that's keeping them up at night. So if an insurance agent can begin micro-niching him or herself into the plumbing subcontractor industry and begin putting together products and services specifically dealing with the plumbing industry that are not, and this is the key, are not insurance related. They're going to be seen by the insured as somebody who's in the plumbing industry that just happens to have a specialization in insurance and financial services. That's the key. If they just see you as another insurance agent, they don't need you. They already have an insurance agent. Now, there's already somebody seated in their chair, and they've already got an insurance agent, and it's quite unlikely that they're going to switch and go to another generalist insurance agency, which is why that industry standard is about 92% of the time in commercial insurance, the incumbent agent's going to retain the business because they just don't see any real difference between one agent and another. 
And so then what I teach my clients to do is to really begin micro niching into a certain segment that they want to go after, putting together products and services that really meet the need of that specific insured restaurants, for example. Insurance is not a big ticket item, but they do need a whole lot of help with regards to social media. They need a lot of help with their website. They need a lot of help getting repeat customer traffic through their door. They need a lot of help training the waiters and waitresses how to upsell on the dessert menu. These are the big things that restaurants try to figure out. And so when an insurance agent can come and provide these types of services or products you know, to them and show them that this is the type of service that they offer to them. And oh, by the way, we obviously are experts at, you know, the restaurant, you know, industry specifically in regards to Italian food. We know all the policies and carriers that will write that. Then having you as the agent rather than just some other agent who's just, you know, an agent on the insurance policy is a no brainer. And so once you can, once you can really systematize that and show that to a prospect going forward, you become the obvious choice and all that is required for them to unseat or terminate the relationship with the other agent and begin utilizing you and your expertise in the micro niche is one signature on a piece of paper. It really is a beautiful thing, Nick. It's the best way to actually do insurance. And frankly, I think that that's where the industry is going as a whole. You know, just all business is changing. All business is continuing to evolve. And today's insurance agent and agency is going to have to actually provide a lot more services to their particular clients in order to maintain those clients going forward. Many of the savvy insurance agencies that I know of are utilizing technology. They're really getting focused in you know, one particular industry. They're providing a level of services and products just to that industry. And they're getting a lot of clients overall. Because after all is said and done, really one agent probably from a commercial standpoint, or whether it's personal lines or health or whatever it is, group health, really, you, you can probably have only about 50 or so clients, even from a commercial standpoint, that you can adequately service and renew on a regular basis, depending upon you know, how large they are that you're going after. So, I mean, we're only talking 50 clients, okay? You're only talking 50 clients that you need in order to create and build a book of business that you're going to be able to be you know, happy with and satisfied and you know, have a good family. Um, and provide for the, the needs of your family going forward. 50 clients. You don't need to write everybody. So you might as well pick one particular niche that you enjoy, that you're passionate about, really focus into it, dive into it, and provide a certain level of expertise in that industry that the typical competition out there is not providing. You're going to get, you're going to get better clients. You're going to get loyal clients. You're going to be able to keep those clients over the course of time and you're actually going to be able to get them much more quickly when you begin micro-niching. Really, I really love that advice. I think mm-hmm. mostly because, first, it works, right? It's working for you mm-hmm. and for uh, the folks that uh, pay for your services. But it's so applicable in, in uh, everyday life. That's the exact same mm-hmm. advice I give uh, with career consulting. Is you know, You're in a company, micro-niche find that one small thing that only you, only you become the expert at and everyone will come mm-hmm. to you. And once you become an expert at something, it's like, uh, it's infectious. They think you're smart mm-hmm. or other things. Yeah. As well. It, it kind of spreads out the, the level of credibility and trust goes through the roof. So I just, I really love that advice. When, when someone uh, comes to permission group, could you walk us through, what do they get? Is it uh, online, off-site, on-site, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the length of time? What, what, what does uh, permission groups offering, uh, if someone were to sign up, what, what could they expect to get? Okay, well, I, you know, depending upon what type of client they are and where they're at geographically and really what their budget is, so I offer a few different things. So I, do, um, I am on retainer with a few different agencies you know, around the country. So I have clients in California, I have clients in Florida, I have clients in Texas. And so I do a lot of virtual training with their individual agents. Um, each and every one of my clients, regardless of whether they're one-on-one coaching clients or you know, from agency retainers, gets access to my, uh, my digital course, Millionaire Insurance Producer. So it is a course that I specifically put together that's video-based, it's content-based, it has downloads, you know, there's exercises that you go through. And the whole process is to begin building a $1 million book of business through signed broker of record letters. And so um, I provide that to each and every one of my clients. 
as just part of the service. But for those um, insurance agents maybe around the country who can't afford one-on-one coaching or maybe their agency hasn't paid for it, they can actually purchase the digital course uh, just individually. So you can purchase it. You'd have 24-7 lifetime access to it. But it teaches the step-by-step process of everything really that I teach my individual one-on-one coaching clients. Um, When I do have agents around the country who hire me for one-on-one coaching, we would typically have um, regularly scheduled, no less than once a week, but we would have a regularly scheduled telephone consultation where we're going through the curriculum of the course, we're working through your micro niches, we're talking about your prospects, we're putting together, and this is also very instrumental, we're putting together a 12-month timeline of services that you would show to a prospect going forward. Because the biggest issue, Nick, frankly, that any insurance agency or agent has in the, in the prospecting channel is that the insured does not know what it would be like to do business with you. And so they're unwilling to make a switch to a new agency if all things being equal or even close. So you really have to you know, show your prospect what it is that it's going to be like to do business with you. And so putting together a very detailed timeline of services for a 12-month period of exactly what you're going to do and which date. So there needs to be dates attached to it. There needs to be insurance-related things and non-insurance-related things. But we put all of this together specific to your micro niche. And um, so I do that in the, in the individual digital course, but I also do it with my one-on-one coaching clients. Um, so we have regularly scheduled telephone consultations. And then each of my clients, whether they are one-on-one or agency retainer, you know, I'm basically available to them 24-7. And so they have my cell phone number. They can always call me and talk about any issues, prospects they're dealing with. I love to talk about their prospects and how they handle those going forward, what they should do, what they should say, how they should position themselves. So I'm dealing with them via text message and email, you know, really any way in which they're willing to communicate. You know, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Frankly, I get probably about 80, 80 to 85% of my clients via LinkedIn. I just utilize that platform. And it, that and YouTube is probably one of the, really the two ways in which I get most of my clients. But I try to be as you know, hands-on as possible because I know that my clients get a lot more success, meaning they get more clients themselves, when we're doing a little bit of a hand-holding process through the entire sales uh, uh, process. You brought up something earlier about how a lot of your clients pay out of pocket. I think that's something mm-hmm. that irk, irks me. Um, we've had mm-hmm. several producers on, on, uh, on the show and you know, the, the talent gap is real and it just seems as though the agencies themselves are unwilling or it, it just doesn't seem economically viable for them to train the next generation of producers. What can be done to mm-hmm. solve, what can be done to solve that problem? Because it, it, <clears throat> it's problematic. The agents have to come out of their pocket. Again, it's sink or swim. Uh, if you could have a really good potential producer that just doesn't have the financial capability of you know mm-hmm. paying someone like you to make them a superstar, it just seems it's it's in the agency's best interest to provide those resources. I could not agree with you more. It is a challenge. It is a problem. I do believe that the more savvy insurance agencies are figuring it out. But I think that a lot of it is also going to depend upon insurance carriers and wholesalers and GAs going forward. Okay, so, you know, the, the larger agencies that have money, you know, they can, they can spend and they can invest in some of this training. So, uh, you know, I do have, you know, some, I have some clients that are with, you know, Brown and Brown and Gallagher and Aon and Marsh. You know, I have a, a lot of clients in the larger firms. But I would say, frankly, the most of my clients fall within the small to medium-sized agency, with many of them even towards what I would say 20 employees or less on an agency side. And so, you know, an agency of, of that size just doesn't have the actual capital you know, to invest in training for all of their people. And it's a significant hurdle. Um, I do know that, you know, that's why I've tried to actually set up my training virtually because, you know, it doesn't require me coming in to, you know, sit down with somebody. Um, so it's actually a lot less expensive for an agency to do it that way. But um, I do see that many of them are, are switching. I see that agencies are leaving the generalist mindset and starting to go towards a micro niche mindset. And when that happens, the training does get a little bit easier. And so I'm actually right now in the process of, of developing and, uh, and rolling out um, an entire agency training uh, model. 
so that this can be completely virtual, you know, with regards to, um, you know, videos and content, but then also group training seminars and so forth so that it's not something necessarily that they would have to do. But I can also tell you this, Nick, that I've been actually talking, um, you know, have already even signed a, a couple of agreements with insurance carriers and wholesalers on doing this directly for the insurance agents. And this, I think, is what is key. It is usually the insurance carriers that tend to be more micro niche than even the insurance agencies. So if you were to talk to your typical insurance company out there, you talk to a sales rep, they'll many times give you an appetite guide. You know, it's the typical things that the typical classes of business that insurance carriers want to write. They're not going to write everybody. You know, no insurance company is out there that does that. And so they are all micro niched. And so what I'm now seeing some of these insurance companies begin to figure out is that if they could begin working with, you know, a select number of their more, you know, successful and loyal agencies and putting together sales training, that's not really going to teach the agent how to sell their product. That, that's not needed. What is needed is how to, you know, sell the insured in that specific industry. And then the loyalty of the agent is going to more than likely place the business with that carrier who already has a specialization in that, in that type of um, industry. And so I'm beginning to see a little bit of a trend from the carrier side doing this, but I think that it's probably going to initially start with the wholesaler and GA side. Because those are the ones that are, you know, they really have maybe the ear of a lot of these agents in regards to specific classes of business. And so some of these, you know, wholesalers and GAs are paying me to actually put together a branding sales model um, to train all of their agents on how to actually sell for the specific industries and micro niches that that wholesaler is going after. And so they're putting together we're putting together products and services for, for them. So if I can use the example of restaurants, what the wholesaler is going to be doing now is putting together services and products specific to the restaurant industry. So teaching them how to get repeat customer traffic, you know, teaching them how to do social media for their company. And oh, by the way, we also have the best policy for restaurants. You know, so putting together that and then teaching their agents how to actually sell the products and services to that industry going forward. I'm starting to see that trend in the industry a little bit, Nick, because just because the typical small mom and pop, even to medium sized insurance agency doesn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to actually do that you know, themselves. Um, I am seeing that, you know, there are agents, both personalized agency, as I work with personalized agencies, certainly many of those that specialize in high net worth. Um, I have some agencies that are 100% employee health benefits, and you know they're really focusing on that as well. A lot of PNC shops and, and mixed shops in between, and those that I see are being a little bit more savvy and you know are thinking forward, changing with the times and utilizing technology, are the ones who are beginning to invest in in sales training specific to a micro niche. It's just a better way to do it. You know, I, maybe if I can even use an example like. You know, if, if an agency contacts a business just to offer a quote, you know, many times that business might, might say yes, and then they're probably going to do a little bit of research on you either before or after the meeting. So they're going to maybe check out your website. They might check out your LinkedIn and so forth. And if you just come across like every other insurance agency out there, it's just a, a very generalist website, a generalist LinkedIn that just says you're an insurance agent. Like there's no reason for them to want to do business with you. But if you're contacting you know, landscape contractors, okay? And you're prospecting landscape contractors. And everything in your LinkedIn profile talks about landscape contractors and what landscape contractors can do to increase revenue and decrease sales. And your website you basically says right on the main page, we insure landscape contractors. You are positioning yourself as the obvious choice going forward. And so there's a lot of things that you can actually do to tweak your, your positioning and your prospecting model your branding um, to a specific niche, um, and you haven't even gotten into the sales side of it yet, that's going to put you so much further ahead of the curve. Um, so there's just a lot of different things, but those are some of the trends that I'm seeing in the future. And, you know, even as you mentioned, you know, like how to get, you know, many of these people into the insurance industry, you know, I think that that really is the key. You want to, you want to show college graduates, college students, you know, people who are looking for a new career, that insurance is a great industry, but it, even from the sales side, it's not insurance. You're actually, it's relationships. 
you're sitting down with somebody who owns a spa and you're trying to figure out you know, how you can help them even get more profitable in the spa industry. So if you enjoy visiting spas, you might as well spend all of your time prospecting and visiting spas. I know some agents who, you know, they love playing tennis. And so all they do is they just go and they prospect and visit tennis uh, resorts all the time. They play tennis and they, they go and they play tennis with the decision makers and that's how they actually prospect. So when you think about it, they're in the insurance industry, but really they're in the tennis industry. They just happen to have a specialization where they make their living off of selling the insurance to the tennis place. And if we really began to market the insurance industry like that, I think that we would be a, we would start having lines of people wanting to get into the insurance industry because it's a, it is, um, you know, an industry where you can make a very, very good living, but it's also an industry where you can focus on anything that you want to do. If you really have a joy, you know, about one particular industry, whether it's nonprofits and, you know, you just have a passion for helping people with substance abuse problems, you can just focus on substance abuse companies, you know, nonprofits or for-profits, whatever, really just help them and spend all of your time in that industry but also, you know, making a living by selling the insurance for those, that particular industry. That I think really is where insurance and insurance recruiting needs to go. Because when we began, when we begin marketing the insurance industry that way, when we brand the insurance industry that way, we're going to be able to attract the better talent into the industry because it gives them a chance to be in any industry they want with just a specialization in the insurance side. I really love that message and for, you know, folks that are, you know, uh, devoted listeners, thank you, to this podcast, uh, <coughs> your message uh, rings. Uh, we had Patrick Mushenti, who's a producer in the Ohio area, and he was talking about the need for carriers to kind of step up. And, and now that you're seeing that and, and, and you have some of that in place, it's really good to see. I'm I'm curious what you think about how the uh, digital re- revolution, digital innovation, uh, is going to affect producers in the future. I do believe that any producer or agency that does not begin to utilize technology is going to get left in the dust, uh, without question. Now, from a consumer standpoint, myself, I I don't necessarily like to communicate with chatbots and bots. Um, I like to talk to a person. But at the same time, I know that I've also had you know, some amazing experiences so far. I think maybe even in the last couple of months where different companies have used chatbots, and it's been like a tremendous experience. So I'm even as a consumer beginning to shift my mentality a little bit that I don't mind that because it probably saved me a lot of time. It was very efficient. So I do think things like chatbots and the utilization of technology you know, is very important going forward. But I also think that you don't need as much technology as you think. And frankly, you know, a good website, strong social media channel, um, a website that has a platform where you, know, you could have customers log in you know, to, to do different things in, in their insurance policy, add vehicles, and so forth. These things are becoming not an option, that they are becoming non-optional behavior. You know, so I think that for those insurance agencies that don't don't do this going forward, they're either going to have to sell out their agency or they're just going to run it off, you know, until it all just you know goes away. Uh, because I do believe that that's how just the world has changing. I don't know of anybody who doesn't have a smartphone. Um, I personally use my smartphone for everything except for you know telephone calls for the most part. I, I use it to do everything. I use it to make payments. I use it to check out people. I use it to connect with people. I use it to communicate. And every policyholder out there that I know, for the most part, they do that as well. So we have to begin utilizing it, but we also have to make sure that we don't overburden the consumer because there's a certain point in which I want to actually talk to somebody. Like I don't need to have an insurance agent for myself who lives down the street. I don't mind doing business with somebody in a different state. I don't necessarily have to see you, um, but I do want to be able to communicate with you. I don't want to communicate with just pure technology, you know, all the time. So I am becoming more of a uh, proponent of technology and certainly even chatbots that can help me get to that standpoint. But I still need to know that there's a name behind my agency. And, you know, back when I was selling, you know, selling insurance, you know, I had some clients who would pay me, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of premium or pay the carrier rather a few hundred thousand dollars of premium, but I actually never saw them. I, like, I never met them. 
they were far away geographically and I just was unable to actually meet with them. But it was a trust relationship that everything could be done via, you know, email, telephone and so forth. And that's where the world is going. Um, I truly believe that an agency that does not invest in that or utilize that is going to end up either having to sell out or just going out of business because they're not going to be able to compete in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird how, uh, you know, our tastes change. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not comfortable with the bots yet, but I don't really want to talk to anyone either. I don't want to wait. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I have the right agent. I have an agent I can just send an email and just say, add this car, mm-hmm. you know, you know, do this, do that. Um, and I don't, I think I've spoken to them once since I've had them as an agent for like three years. So it fits, you know, it fits my personality. Um, so you, I, I think you, I think you're hitting on something though. It's really, uh, with the, you know, diversity of humans and customers out there, everyone's going to want to communicate in their own special, unique way. And for the, you know, the agency system, the carrier system, whatever, Mm-hmm. we need to adapt to that. We need to be able to communicate to people in the way that they want to be communicated with and not necessarily, this is the way it is, take it or leave it. You know, and what you're saying like hits the nail right on the head. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great insure tech coming in that's making the independent agent and you know, life better. There's, just, there's a lot that's making it better. But where I do see you know, technology um, really falling short is just the ability to be able to document that into the agency um, CRM system. Okay. So, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of policyholders, you know, personalized as well as commercial, they want to, they want to communicate via text messages, you know, well, most agency management systems can't document that. And so you begin having this huge gap for E&O, you know, the insurance industry is going to have to figure that out because you know the the insured is going to want to communicate in whichever way they want to communicate. It, you're not going to be able to force the policyholder to communicate in the way that you want to otherwise you will lose that client. I'll give you an example, I have a coaching client, you know, out in Nevada and you know she just she was telling me about one of her one of her clients, it was initially a prospect, not a client. Um, but 100% of the communication was via text message. That they initially she initially got referred into it by a friend who gave uh, her this uh, contractor's cell phone number. So she texted him because she said that's how he communicates. They'd just been texting back and forth. You know, it wasn't a huge account, so they, he texted the VIN number for, you know, the vehicles. He texted the property information. Um, there wasn't even a telephone conversation until finally, you know, after the last text message when she said, here's what the premium is going to be, here's the carry and so forth. You know, he said, okay, let's go ahead and bind that thing. And that's when she finally said, she said well, you know, I'm actually going to need at least to have, you know, a signature going forward. But I just feel that that's the way that many policyholders want to communicate. They don't want to necessarily waste, you know, two hours of their life having to drive into your office or spend two hours of their life sitting down with you to talk about insurance and you know, gather signatures and so forth. We're going to have to be able to communicate with the prospects and the clients in the way that they want to communicate that feels comfortable with them. And then we, as the insurance you know, independent agency channel, we're going to have to figure out how to document all of that from an E&O standpoint. And that's where I think InsureTech really needs to step up the game and certainly these agency management systems. Yeah, thank you for that insightful answer. This is the part of the podcast, Charles, where we transition and we get to learn a little bit more about you as a person and not as, you know, the insurance person, but as a human being. Mm-hmm. So I always ask all of my guests, um, when you aren't working, what do you enjoy doing? Mm, I love reading. Um, leadership books. I do really enjoy readership books. Um, I also know that I, you know, being an insurance consultant, I have to be, I have to be creative. I have to think outside of the box. And one of the things I love doing is exercising. I love going on walks. I try not to listen to any, you know, music or, you know, podcasts while I'm doing it because it allows my, my mind to just think. When I read novels, I read stories, it really you know, heightens the creativity um, which I do think translates into just to a better consulting uh, practice. So I do a lot of reading, both leadership books and novels. Um, you know, I, I love to exercise and I need to do it more, but I love to just go on long walks. <laughs> um, you know, I mentioned, you know, pastoring before. So, you know, I do really enjoy just the church life and interacting with, you know, people on a regular basis. So um, I was pastoring for about seven years and I have five children. 
Um, the youngest two we adopted from China, they have special needs. My youngest son is blind. Um, so he has a lot of special needs. So unfortunately, you know, I love the church where we were at for that seven years, but we had to, we had to move. We had to move to a more metropolitan area where he could get more services. So I recently had to step down from that church. We moved to a more metropolitan area where, you know, he is getting a lot more services for Braille and blind and so forth. So I'm kind of in between maybe what, um, what I was doing before in regards to pastoring, but you know, I'm going around right now and just speaking at different churches and, you know, just trying to teach people, you know, really what the Bible teaches and so forth. And that's really one of my greatest passions in life. And you are a published author. I, I looked you up and noticed you had mm-hmm. a couple of books on this topic mm-hmm. uh, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share the names of the books? Yeah. So um, one of the books is called Revealed and it's God's will for your life. And so what I teach is what I teach uh, many Christians. I do this with youth groups and college students you know, for the most part. Um, but I teach them you know, how to find God's will for their life. And I don't really look at it from a subjective standpoint, but I look at it from, you know, as Christians, we read the Bible, we teach the Bible. And so what does the Bible teach about what God wants? Because I believe that you know, the Bible teaches that you can know God's will by understanding what the scripture says and by applying that into your daily lifestyle, that you will then be more in tune with the will of God. And so, you know, having questions like, you know, where does God want me to go to school? What industry does God want me to work in? Things like that. They begin working themselves out the more that we apply that in life. So that's what that book does. It's actually God's will is revealed in the scripture. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the main book um, that I have going. And then I do really have uh, you know, a couple of ebooks. Um, from the insurance side um, that, you know, teach on the, the millionaire insurance producer. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of caught up. It's like a tug of war in life. You know, one side of me is, you know, is pulling on the secular side um, with regards to insurance consulting, because I love it. And I just enjoy the, the personal interaction. And then I've got the other side of the, of the tug of war rope, you know, that's pulling on even the spiritual side. But, um, you know, I don't know if there's anything by life and balance, you know, a, a life balance or life work balance. But I am trying to figure it out day in, day in and day out, and it's actually working out pretty good. Well, that's a perfect segue to the next question, which is what tools or techniques do you use to stay productive and organized, especially when you're being tugged in two directions? Mm. Well, I, I think I'm one of those people that might fit a little bit more into um, maybe the bulk of the majority in that I do use technology, but I don't. I'm not definitely one of those productivity hacks, you know, that's just you know crazy on technology. So I use a few different things, but I don't really, you know, have a lot. Um, you know, I have a calendaring system, you know, I use, you know, on my smartphone and I, I sync it to the cloud so that I can utilize it on my various devices. But, you know, I typically, you know, I use, <clears throat> I use my social media platforms for different things. Like um, my LinkedIn, I actually have a couple of different profiles for LinkedIn based upon what I'm doing. You know, you and I uh, connected on LinkedIn with my insurance consulting one, but I have my other consulting practice for another profile. But I use LinkedIn 100% for business purposes. I use Twitter, you know, really for news purposes. I use Instagram to, you know, continue to see what's going on in the world. Facebook for friends and family. So I use social media profiles, you know, to do business, to do, you know, family, to do personal, you know, just to continue up with life. But from, you know, just from a pure, a pure app standpoint, I don't really do too, too many things. Um, you know, everything that my smartphone you know, can do for me that's basically installed, those are the, the basic systems that I use just to kind of keep myself, you know, active and going forward. Okay. Uh, I, I think I know some of the answers to this. We talked about some of the books, but what books have you found to be influential in both your uh, business and or personal lives? Hmm. Well, as I mentioned that I, I do read a lot of leadership books. Um, I'm a huge John Maxwell fan. Um, it's one of the, the better, he, he's just a very good writer and he just he points out leadership. And I truly enjoy that uh, because I believe like kind of what John Maxwell says, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership. I try to take it to another level. I think that everything rises and falls on applied leadership and that it's one thing for a leader to you know, tell you, you know, what you can do and kind of teach you, but if you're not applying it, you know, they haven't led you. And so it has to be applied by you. Same thing goes with my consulting practice. I can teach an agent what to do, but unless they actually begin to apply it in their life, there's going to be no change. And so I do like books that are very um, applicable. 
So anything by John Maxwell, really, really helpful. Um, trying to think of like a um, story brand book by uh, Don Miller, been very instrumental in regards to the creation of my my branding and my website, you know, really kind of creating a storyline for my typical prospect. Great business book, even though it's, you know, much more of a creative standpoint. Um, again, I just, you know, love novels. And I think even from, you know, a spiritual perspective, you know, I'm never going to give you the answer that's anything different than the Bible. You know, the Bible is actually a you know, composition of 66 different books um, that actually teach, you know, everything that you would need to go in regards to life and practice. My favorite book of the Bible uh, is the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs is a collection of um, sayings that really teach wisdom, um, that teach wisdom on how to apply it to your life. Like one of my favorite verses is, there is wisdom in the multitude of many counselors. I understand that both from a business standpoint and from a personal standpoint, that when I speak to different people who you know, have understanding or some knowledge in various areas, when I begin asking them what to do, if I was to ask five different people you know, how to handle this particular problem, they're going to give me you know, their opinions and I'll be able to utilize those opinions into being able to formulate an actual decision. Whereas if I just kind of come up with my own choices and keep it to myself, I'm probably going to fail a lot more. So it just reminding myself of that one you know, truth in regards to wisdom, that there's a multitude uh, of wisdom and many counselors, it really helps me figure out how to do life day in and day out. So the Bible for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's, I will put, I will put that information on the show notes for anyone that's listening and thank you for taking time out of your day. I, I learned a lot about what you do and, and how you do it and how you're really making a difference. So you're always welcome. So thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day. Nick, I appreciate it. And let me just tell you, you know, I, you know, I listen to the podcast. I think that you guys are doing a great job for the insurance industry. I wish that more people would listen. And, you know, so long as we have voices like yours and this podcast and other people like you, I truly believe that the insurance industry is on the right path. And so I think myself and many of your listeners just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing. Please do keep it up. I appreciate that. Uh, it, it, uh, it really fuels the fire, you know, to, to keep it going. And we have, we have a lot more work to do. And with, you know, teaming up with people like you, I think we can do it. So thanks again. Uh, my guest this week has been Charles Speck, the Permission Group. Charles, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Nick. I appreciate it.